It's a 2020 edition, 2021 edition of At The Buzzer. We're back. It's a new year. It's a new us. It's a new everything with the Colorado Buffaloes. We weathered the um, terrible shitstorm of 2020. And we both made it out the other side. <clears throat> Isn't that right, Sam? Yeah. Yeah, I mostly... How was your year in general? Was it okay? In... Uh, you know, it was. It's. Just, it just felt like a blur. It was a little bit of a blur. I, a blur uh, in like a bat in a slow way or a fast blur. Depends on, I guess, macro level. Super fast, but you know, it felt like eternity for most of those weeks. I don't know, man. It was just a weird. Everyone said, "What a weird off kilter year." And I'm, I'm sure that 2021 is going to have some of that. But man, it just started. You know, it just started normal, ended not normal. I, was I tried year? to, I, I tried to make a list of all the books I read this past year, and I literally couldn't remember what I had been reading in August. Like, like I, my memory just didn't go back four months. So that's kind of how it was. I literally don't remember what I was doing last February. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to think. Uh, I was talking to someone about not necessarily what book I was reading, but I was talking about I, I saw a comedy show in Denver in February. And I, I literally it just like I couldn't remember most of what happened in, in the comedy show at all. And I was just thinking like it wasn't because it was bad. It wasn't because it, it was just like I was at a place where a bunch of other people were. And we like went mm-hmm. to a bar beforehand and afterhand. It was like that's none of that happened for has not happened for 10 months it was just such a weird bizarro thing but whatever well i mean yeah i worked at the boulder theater so i am definitely missing that more than you are like that was like an actual part of my life was literally working at concerts okay well (laughs) no 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 i'm not trying to make it like that i'm just saying like that it's like just weird for me that I was like on March 11th when Rudy Gobert news was happening. I was working at the front of a concert where we had barricades <laughs> up. That's right. I forgot about the Rudy Gobert thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I was at a crazy concert where we had to like help people in the crowd because it was getting too wild. Well, to bring it back to, oh. to earth, to bring it back to center. The other thing that changed this year is see you went from a bowl drought team <laughs> to a, a bowl first quenched team. No, 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 no. We have we have a seven day bull drought. It's true. We're back in it. And I'm already thirsty for more. I'm uh, not. Another, th- another <laughs> thing that happened in February, and it seems like so long ago, uh, Mel Tucker left the Colorado team. That happened this year. Oh yeah, yeah, um, that really did. And and we get to look back at, at Carl Durrell's first year in this podcast. I'm very excited. We get to look at, um, I guess, some of our highlights, some of our lowlights, what we thought in general. Some obviously a bowl game recap, and then um, we get to turn the metaphorical leaf over and look at the basketball, which is you know the bridge between 2020 and 2021. I don't know, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, we also have some like uh daily notes to do because today was actually a pretty big news day for being into the off season, which is fun, right? Well, everything is super compressed, so there's still a national championship game to play, but we we stopped playing, CU stopped playing regular season football less than three weeks ago, I think. 
two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but everything else is uh, it's kind of fresh, and it's, I don't know. It's, it's interesting that we're gonna have spring football in, in less than two months. Oh, if it happens, okay, let's go. It's gonna be wild. What do you mean if it happens? I mean, if there's like a spring game and fans can go, that's kind of what I mean. Oh, but I don't yeah. know. If, yeah, I, don't, I doubt it's gonna be a fan thing, but whatever. Um, you know. Let's talk over some of the 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 stuff that's happened since CU played in the Alamo Bowl. Um, like you mentioned, it's a pretty big news day. I think we'll break it off with the biggest national story. We have a Heisman winner, and it's not a tall white dude playing quarterback. Yeah, I'm so happy. So Devontae Smith is now the first receiver to win the Heisman since 1991 when Desmond Howard did it. Uh, his... I think he scored 23 touchdowns, had like 105 catches, 1,600 yards, just absolute pure dominance. I am so happy he won. I've been wanting a receiver to win for a very long time. Larry Fitzgerald should have won it over Jason White. Love Larry. Yeah, and Jason White's probably one of the weakest Heisman winners ever, if you want to look back at it. Yeah, that was back when Bob Stoops was a new cool thing in, in college football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, I, I believe that, yeah, our, our winning horse did win, which is always a good thing to see. That And Devontae Smith is, I think, super deserving in a year where not everyone else was. Yeah, I think that this was a, a year where there wasn't really a distinguished Heisman candidate besides him. Like, there wasn't a Kyler Murray versus Tua debate. There wasn't – I mean, Joe Burrow was the walk-on, like, the just – obvious favorite last year right uh but yes yeah it helped that mac jones was propelled by Devonte smith it helped that kyle trask sucked towards the end of the season had a horrible game against oklahoma which was pretty funny um and then Najee harris probably should have gotten more votes but yeah you're gonna keep opinion. beating that drum and i don't agree with that one necessarily i think he's really good he reminds me of uh nfl Le'Veon bell just a little bit but, I think he's really good. Yeah. I also think he's playing with the best offensive line in college football and the best wide receiver in college football and the best quarterback in college football. Okay. Maybe not the last one, but definitely a really good quarterback. Yeah, because Trevor Lawrence is still... But there's terrific. so much space um, for Naj. Anyways, Devontae Smith, Heisman winner. Uh, like you said, crazy season. I mean, that's like that's most good wide receivers' careers is this year. Like that's If you have a good college wide receiver, he's going to have... A, a career that equals Devonte Smith's 2020. He had more. He had one fewer touchdown catch this year than Scotty McKnight did in his career. And we all know Scotty McKnight famously finished second in Heisman voting. <laughs> he did. I think he did tie the all-time record for touchdown catches. Oh, I could God. be mistaken. And the other thing uh, that's cool about Devonte Smith is he's not a Julio Jones style like, free, or even a Larry Fitzgerald style, just complete freak. Right. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's really interesting that he dominated despite not being the biggest, fastest, or I mean, most athletic. I mean, he's super athletic, but it's definitely not, you know, he's not towering over anyone out there. He just happens to be really, really, really good at football. Yeah. I, I like the simplicity of watching someone who is just good. And that's where you can stop the analysis. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I, it was. It's. I'm glad he won. I'm. I'm. 
upset, I guess, that Justin Fields doesn't have another year because I think Justin Fields, if he came back this this next year, would be an easy shoe-in. I still love that dude's game, but whatever. Congrats to Devontae. Yeah, uh, we also had slightly less substantial news, but still probably definitely bigger for CU fans is Nate Landman announced that he's coming back for 2021. Why? That's not less substantial. That's amazing. No, I said that's more substantial for CU fans. It, I mean, in general, I, God, in general, what a what a weight off my shoulders, specifically my shoulders, no one else's. <laughs> Unbelievable! I, oh, I'm so excited. Okay, I didn't actually. I have not read his his announcement post yet. Have you? No, I just hopped on from this podcast with zero preparation. Beautiful. Well, uh, he he announced this this evening that he's coming back. And you know yeah. it's sad. It's it's kind of sad. The parallels of Spencer Dinwiddie are pretty big, I think. Uh, where the only difference is Spencer Dinwiddie knew he would he should go and get paid um, after he tore his ACL instead of coming back for his senior year. But either way, the only reason that either of them were considering coming back is because they got hurt, which is not the way you want that to happen, right? Yeah, um, I would say. Dinwiddie was more important to the basketball team because with basketball and you only have five players and he was a projected first round pick. Whereas Landman was not, he was yes. probably like a third, fourth round pick at best just yeah. because the NFL is no longer where it was 15 years ago. He's less of a sure thing definitely than Dinwiddie was, but more importantly, he's also, I, I don't, I think this decision makes sense for him long-term too. I don't think this is a, like a sentimental come back to see you to finish what I started thing. I think this is mm-hmm. definitely, I want to go through the pre-draft workout process. I want to like strut my stuff before I get drafted, put another year on tape. Um, and we'll see how much he can actually play depending on how quickly he recovers from his Achilles. But yeah, it's oh, tough so coming back. back. It's tough coming back from an Achilles, obviously. Uh, it's even tougher when you are missing training camp and you spend part of your rookie season just getting up to speed. So I think that if he's healthy next year, he can go into his rookie year with the ground running, whereas he might have – he, I mean, he could have flamed out after one year if he got hurt. That's what happened to Jordan Dizon. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Landman immediately makes this defense so much better. We don't even have to – we don't have to explain that to listeners. <laughs> Everyone well, knows. Yeah, that is a legitimate – like, just watch the six quarters in which Landman did not play on this defense versus the – whatever, however many quarters he did play. And it's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I don't know. That's huge news to see you. I'm glad he's coming back. Uh, but that's obviously not the only personnel decision coming in. There's going to be a glut of scholarships this year, just because the NCAA allowed anyone to come back. So a lot of teams are going to be facing some cuts, transfers, whatever. Um, not, this is not good attrition necessarily, but CU is seeing some of his own attrition Namely, the, the big one is is recruiting gem of last year. Jason Harris is is leaving. He's entered the transfer portal after redshirting this year, um, which is interesting because it coincided. He's from Arizona, and he's in Arizona family. His, his older brother plays there, and his leaving coincided because pretty His parents nicely. played there too. Yes, yeah, they are, they are a legacy. And the second that Kevin Sumlin was not retained, it wasn't exactly like this, but I, I think it's a little bit has to do with the fact that uh, Kevin Sumlin is no longer there. So Jason Harris entered the transfer portal. I don't expect him back. And it's tough because he definitely had a lot of potential on the outside edge. 
as a defensive end. Yeah, yeah, it kind of sucks. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. What what are you going to do? A lot of players are going to leave. A lot of players are going to come in. Do we have Do we have any other players who are confirmed transfer? I know there's a lot of rumors on a few freshmen. Um, I I don't. There's no confirmed transfers other than Jason Harris at, at this point. Um, as some people might know, Brendan Rice crushed the hearts and minds. Oh of... my god, that troll! <laughs> uh, he also entered the transfer portal, obviously, uh, to transfer from Xbox to PlayStation Five. So. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped everyone's hearts which is too that, bad see use an xbox school i don't think that helps us is it is no. that a thing no it's not a thing come on okay i i don't know i feel like we are a pepsi school that made a difference for jim levitt <laughs> i was we're gonna pepsi school i think he had enough money where it didn't matter <laughs> yeah um so expect a few freshmen to transfer i think that should be pretty obvious uh, we, we like as you mentioned, the attrition is going to be a thing. That's a small recruiting class, so that's good. Um, but yeah, there's some freshmen who are unhappy with their playing time, and as all freshmen are. Sur- yeah, and it's like if you're on a winning team, and the person in front of you is playing really, really well, I'm not really sure what you're complaining about, to be honest. Well, I I don't think this is anything new. I think the only difference is it's a pandemic and everyone's online all the time, so you're seeing it more. <laughs> I think yeah. every, every single 18-year-old football player who's been big man on campus, you know, since he stepped on a high school, mm-hmm. like whatever, field, is complains that he's not playing as much as he thinks he should. And I don't see – I think it's totally fine for these kids to complain. Obviously, if they think – and it's totally fine for them to seek out their best situation – I think the yeah, only difference I think is it's okay too. this year there's way less people traveling just because of the COVID stuff. So they can tweet a little more during the games, which might get frustrating, especially if CU struggling. There's just more opportunities for fans to see into an 18 year old kid's head. And especially this year, going to a college out of state, a lot of the benefits of a college education are diminished because you can't do the things that you would normally do. So I think there's just more frustrated people across the country. I don't think this is a CU issue. Yeah, and it sucks that you can't be on campus right now. Because, like, why even go to CU if you can't be on campus? You're not going there for the communications degree. <laughs> well, exactly. I don't know. It's it's. I am not too worried about that. I feel like most of the people who vented will eventually come back. And if they don't, <laughs> uh, then I still think there's plenty of opportunities to improve this team. You just say vented? Yeah. Like vented. they're imposters. Is that an Among Us reference? Is that what I'm hearing? I thought you were making the reference, but that's fine. No, people <laughs> vent when they're upset. Oh, okay, I see. I, I was thinking vent as in escaping to somewhere else. I yes, I understand. Yes. I should okay. know it is Among Us reference. So <laughs> I'm not worried about that. Jason Harris is a tough loss, and um I he didn't play it all this year, so it's all potential, but Definitely was a big recruiting win for Mel Tucker, and it was nice that Carl Durrell held on for as long as he did. Oh, we also uh, we lost William, like Will Sherman. He declared for the draft. I forgot about that. Yeah, another huge. I think that's a win for CU. It sucks because he's a great what? player. You think it's a win? He's that... a great player, but you want CU to have successful players. <laughs> that's and... true. I mean, that's true. Yeah, Three. CU is better when 
people can leave after three years of playing. That's a that's a good thing for CU. Yeah, so he was a three-year starter, two years at right tackle, then moved over to the left tackle this year. All conference, really, really good. He's probably going to play guard or right tackle in the NFL. He's probably going to be pretty good. Mid mid round pick, most yeah. likely. He'll definitely shift inside because he's a little bit of a height differential, but he's he's super quick feet, obviously, great power and super long arms. Uh, do you want to guess the last uh, lineman to leave school for the draft with eligibility remaining? For CU. You, do you mean for CU? Yeah. Is it Tim Lennot? It's not. Tim Lennot stayed like six years at CU. <laughs> it is... Okay, I'll give you a hint. It's Kaivi Crab, my boy. No, these guys did not leave for the draft. <laughs> it was Gus. David Bakhtiari. Ba- David Bakhtiari. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who also, so, unfortunately, got injured. Yeah, no, he tore his ACL. Uh, that sucks. But his quarterback's going to win the MVP, so it's okay as a left tackle. But Bakhtiari was similarly small. He was 6'4", 310. Will Sherman's the same size. Uh, he stuck at left tackle despite people thinking he wouldn't, and he turned into – it looks like he might be a future Hall of Famer, which is crazy. It just goes to show you, Dan Hawkins is the best coach in program history, and he knew how to identify talent. Yep, yep, let's keep <laughs> going with that. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, you put Bernard Jackson out there with Bakhtiari and Solder, that's a 10-win that's a team. No excuses. 10-win team. I still cannot forgive that Rodney Stewart only got to win, like, one game his senior year. <sighs> <sighs> whatever well Will um, sherman uh good tidings I'm, i hope you stay healthy during the, the pre-draft process we'll see what your measurables stack up but i don't you know i don't think it's uh i think it's a good thing that cu has talented enough talented players that they can leave early and i hope cu continues to recruit talented enough players that leave early oh yeah okay so here's the thing cu only has one two three four seniors who were starting all year Okay, Mustafa Johnson, no. Oh, no, no, no. I Yes, Mustafa Johnson is one of them. I forgot Sam Neuer. There you so go. that's five. Um, so we don't know if Mustafa is coming back or if he's leaving for the NFL. He probably right. should leave for the NFL. Yes. Um, we don't know if Sam Neuer is going to stick around. We don't know if KD Nixon is going to stick around. He mm-hmm. tested draft waters last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are... Probably the only three big question marks so far. I assume Kerry Kutch is sticking around, but I don't want to assume anything. He's a senior. And I assume Darian Rakestraw will stick around, but I don't know. Um, I think Rakestraw, Neuer will stay around for sure. And Oh, Akil Jones too. He'll probably stick around. Maybe he also did his. I guess yeah. I, I I doubt he could successfully test the NFL draft waters. It'd be nice yeah, to see Lamon and Jones run it back. Yeah, I don't think that he's going to be in the NFL. So I'd like to keep him around. Yes, and I'm sure you mentioned Carson Wells. Uh, he's he a, t- a junior. Yes, but I don't know if he's going to stick around because <laughs> that is a yeah. really he had a really really good year. Yeah, he is definitely an NFL talent. If he decides to go, and he probably should go, to be completely honest. I have no idea. That's why I'm just spitballing here. Oh, man. Yeah, see, see, see the interesting thing about the recruiting class that you just pulled in is it's, it's relatively – it's about average size, close to 20 players, but they're really losing 
an indeterminate amount of seniors, but way less than 20 is the main thing, right? So um, it'd be interesting to see where they find those spots and also just how luxury like this class is almost pure luxuries because there's not a lot of immediate holes mm-hmm. that are opening up, right? And obviously you want talented, you want depth that's already developed to fill those holes. But in general, the CU is in a holding pattern already and then combined with the pandemic and everyone gets extra eligibility, I, it's going to be a log jam and a lot of uh, Are there going to be extra scholarships? Because I feel like the NCAA should do that. Yes, I believe they have like a, a, a basically an off-ramp uh, from this year of, of reducing scholarships year over year over year to make okay, sure you good. get back down to 85. Good. But it's really, be, so. it's really a luxury that Carl Durrell has where he can – it just opens up the roster so much more for this his, – his, I would consider his actual year one going up this next year which is crazy um so we have what where are the question marks on the roster really in terms of like player personnel or in terms of are they good (laughs) Uh, there's a lot more in the second one than the first one all right so let's just say the secondary can be better well yeah are we diving into it let's just dive into the full post-mortem Let's do it. Okay, let's open that that morgue drawer and pull out that uh, 2020 season dead body, and let's start dissecting. Had a good death. It did have a good honest. death. Went Lived, out in had a, a had a great night, and then was bludgeoned to death by two freshmen from Texas. <laughs> yeah, it really was an all out assault, and I'm surprised that no police showed up to the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> um, okay, 2020 season is in the bag. It's in the it's in the books, and um, like you said, it's, there's I don't know. It's hard to get a grasp exactly of, of what this team is like going forward. I think I, that's my main takeaway is, is we watched CU win twice as many games as they lost this year, which is always a treat. And we got to see some great individual performances, but I don't know. I don't know as much as I want to about CU um, football as a, as a program. Like I, we don't, I don't think we know that much about Carl Durrell's leadership style or play style. We know more than we did, but he had such a short season and he had such a short on ramp that I don't think we can take too many hard conclusions away from what we saw in 2020 other than it was fun and it was good. I can say that. I think that the way his leadership style seems to be like his guys really like playing for him. They have completely bought into whatever his vision is for the season. And I also think that part of his identity is going to be like playing professional football, like not like professional, professional, but like cutting out bad mistakes, playing clean, uh, that type of deal. Like see, you've committed very few penalties, especially in offense. Mm -hmm. I also think the offense, we have a lot to see because they weren't really playing with a functioning quarterback the last three, four games because Sam Neuer was erratic and injured. Well, and I guess it's the other news we did, we glossed over. He is going to potentially have surgery on that on the shoulder um, this offseason, which means he missed he's going to miss spring ball, um, which leads to the other piece of offseason news we might not have mentioned. CU has a, a obviously another quarterback coming in. Too. Yeah, so, so JT Shrouts coming in from Tennessee. Yeah, transferring from Tennessee. So quite I. I I, I can agree with what you're saying. I think we have a little bit more of an outline of what he wants the team to be, which what, like you said, is, is he, he talks about complimentary football all the time, right? Offense helping the defense by killing the clock, keeping possession, running the ball, getting good field position for the defense. If 
worst comes to worst and they have to punt and the defense helping the offense, right. With, with quick um, drive killers, not giving up big plays. I think that's his whole goal, right. Is, is to make both sides, make it easy on each other. I don't know if he cares too much past that, what that looks like. Generally, that's going to be a lot of running the ball, which you saw this year. But he also, I also just think, like you said, uh, he's going to be calm and professional. He's going to let the, the roster dictate what the team does from year to year, as opposed to his philosophy dictating what the team looks like, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I don't know. It, it was a really fun year, though. I liked watching CU football this year, and you can't say that for a lot of the previous 15 years. I only got to go to one game, and it was very fun. Was that the San Diego State game? UCLA. UCLA. Yeah. Yeah, and that um, was yeah the home opener against his his alma mater. I'm also excited to see what happens if I don't know see you like all these young guys to see how they improve if other teams have some attrition because I think we've talked about this before that that holding over so many players. Um, I think it's a good way for like some like more of the blue collar programs to kind of catch up to the blue bloods. So what happens when Oregon loses so many starters, but CU keeps everybody around? I'd like to see kind of if that kind of flips a little bit in the future, next couple of years. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, reducing scholarships in the 20th century was one of the NCAA's few attempts at parity in college football. Um. And I think that for obvious, for player well-being, it makes sense to allow some wiggle room in coming years from COVID, but it also gives, it re, it, it undoes a lot of that parity. So what CU was looking at this year, which was a pretty soft schedule, it ended up being a pretty soft schedule and a lot of, um, like you said, early opt-outs, draft preparations, a lot of the top-end talent leaving, that might come back twofold in the next few years as all of these top-talent teams build more and more talented depth and can just rotate out more players than usual enjoy it while you can though i mean it was a really i don't know it was a really fun year yeah i wasn't really thinking about it like that i was thinking more like once those top talent players have nfl can leave for the nfl they do but that's not really true because we still see senior five stars at alabama (laughs) just because they haven't played yet well, exactly, because they get to stop them behind other senior five stars for a while. Have you ever made it into NCAA football where you always have the – or NCAA football 14, I guess, where you have like five-star recruiting class after whatever yeah, top five recruiting class? and you class. basically just boot anyone who's not an immediate like 81 or better or 85 or better or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think – so you're saying that that's my, that might be how it is? Yeah, I think it's going to be – it's basically trickle-down economics for the next few years, I think. I think the top schools are going to continue concentrating talent as they have the past 10 years. And I think that because they get to do some more of that, and they have a little more wiggle room with that. We're going to see a lot more transfer portal action from people who are still good players, but may not have an opportunity. Like for example, recently uh, Colorado football, some, some nice Twitter activity around two two Notre Dame transfers who are both four stars who would probably eventually play um, but did not get to recently just because of Notre Dame's success. Um, so mm-hmm. Isaiah Rutherford and Jack Lamb are both from California, both four-star defenders. And I think in normal or years, more normal years, they would maybe stick around for longer. But uh, I, I think there's way more immediacy with player decisions 
recently, which see you can benefit from and also get hurt from. It, it, it all depends on, you know, the culture, the program, what they're looking for, blah, blah, blah. So all this is forward looking. We want to be backward looking right now. Mm-hmm. What was so your, do we uh, want to go ahead? What was your favorite game? I'd start with there. What, what was your favorite game? Well, my favorite game, I had an outline and we're immediately breaking from it. Um, I mean, my favorite game was the one I got to see, which was UCLA. Yes. Okay. Um, kind of a chaotic game. Jarek Broussard had his coming out party. Sam Neuer looked really good. And if I recall, Daniel Arias caught a pass, which was... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Congrats to him. I think that was his one catch of the year. <laughs> no, he had a few catch. He had a few catches in the oh, Alamo okay. Bowl. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. All right. I, six catches, five drops. Good season overall for him. Proof from last year. Sorry, I shouldn't be talking shit about Daniel. <laughs> well, uh, UCLA is a good pick. I Obviously, the most surprising game, in my opinion, because we had no – I was expecting the opposite of what happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad it, it didn't go that way. You thought it would be a low-scoring draw. I thought UCLA would win like 14 to 10 because I thought neither team's going to have timing. CU does not have the, I mean, the drop, their offensive talent drop is huge with the new coach coming in, new scheme coming in, and the defense had a little more continuity. Um, and all that was wrong. So, whatever. Um, man, I think my, my favorite game is probably that Arizona game at Arizona, even though it was ugly as shit because I. <laughs> I don't know. It was fun to watch. Number one, CU started out terribly and eventually battled back in a conference road game, something that really doesn't happen that often. Uh, Number two, we got to watch an all-time great individual performance for a CU player. Jarek Broussard just decided to destroy Arizona in the second half by himself. There were some great holes, and he, he, he just ran through them. I mean... It was just crazy to watch because it was like every other run in the second half happened to be a 70-yard run. Yeah, I think Arizona's a really good pick. And the, um, defense, the defense was absolutely incredible yeah. in the second half, yeah. after the first quarter even. Yep. Nate Lehman just – I mean, they didn't score points after the first quarter, I think. No, they didn't. Well, they did at like the 12-minute mark, but that's it. Um, but Nate Lehman had probably his best game of the season, best game of his career. Well, maybe – the Nebraska game was pretty good. Um, and Carson Wells was fucking fantastic as he was all season. Yeah. He was huge. That really game. fun game. And I mean, Terrence really Lang fun. was just, I mean, anyway, it's, I, and the other thing that was nice about it is it secured bowl eligibility in this weird year, which doesn't, I mean, same thing with like the at Stanford game in 2016 that secured bowl eligibility. That it's game was been, so great. Yeah. That was exactly. so terrible and Both so great. Both games were so ugly that it happened to be pretty, right? And I, I just loved that Carl Leroy got to start that way, that this team battled back, like just didn't really change their shit up, just completely just took over uh, near the end. And we got to see two all-time great individual performances and also just a, a team that didn't quit on each other. It, it, I don't know. It was really fun. Ah, I enjoyed it. Um, do you have any players you want to talk about as breakout picks? that you enjoyed so much besides like just Jarek yes. Broussard. Cause we've well, probably talked enough about him. Yeah, I, I do. And there's a few, uh, there's a few, I mean, I'll keep it to one. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? You can start. I think the, if you're not going to pick your Jarek Broussard, and I guess you can kind of pick Carson Wells as a breakout, even though he played a lot last year, I would pick Carson Wells was my breakout to become like a nationally relevant player. Okay. 
Well, I mean, you know, do you? I, I'm going to my breakout pick is going to be uh, Isaiah Lewis out of nowhere. Yeah. Was, so what what made his season so great? Are you at, well, hey, he was good. <laughs> I, I didn't think he would be good at all. Like I did, I thought he would be bad actually, which is unfair to him to say, but I mean, I'm unfair sometimes. He was a two-star player. C was his only power five offer. McIntyre offered him at one of these satellite camps when back when people could see each other uh, in California and didn't do anything for two years. It's kind of on special teams. And I just thought, Oh my God, if Isaiah Lewis is starting at safety next to Darian Rakestraw, it's a bad year, right? I thought like Mark Perry come in, maybe Christian Gonzalez moved to safety. I just thought Lewis is going to have absolutely no impact. And it turned out, I think Lewis was probably our steadiest defender outside of the front seven all year. He was yeah. always in the right spot. He was huge covering running backs out of the flat. And he was definitely faster to the ball than I ever expected him to. He ended up being one of the best safeties in the Pac-12 in a weird year. And I, I, I did not expect that at all. And I'm lucky that CU has another year at least of him. So, I don't know. Isaiah Lewis is my pick. I Yeah, I, I get most of my information from you. And so I only thought Isaiah Lewis was like a depth piece. I had no idea that he would have such a good season. Um. I was going to go Carson Wells. That's a little too easy. Um, let's see. Colby Purcell. I didn't know that he was going to be that good. And do you know what's funny to me? I realized when he was that good, and this is going to be also very mean, when he was out with an injury for a few yeah. games after that Stanford no. game. Yeah, that's, that's what I realized how good he was. Yeah. So he's a junior. This is like his third year starting, and neither of us knew how good he was until just now. Because, well, just the drop-off was so obvious. And it's not like Kerry Kutch did that bad of a job in and, and weird emergency replacement or Josh. I, I don't mean, think he'd ever played center before. Right. So he was down to his fourth, whatever you want to call it. Depth. I mean, there was not a lot of options there. And it, that is, yeah, like you said, Colby Purcell, very good. Very oh, yeah, because Carson, Carson Lee was uh, suspended. Yeah. And then they, I don't think he even came in at all this year. And Austin Johnson was also hurt this year. He was on that center depth chart. Josh Gines was hurt for a little bit. It was tough. And Cole Brussel made it easy when he was out there. Yeah. Um, is there any position that you want to see get a lot better for next year? Uh, if we're looking – so if we're moving to looking forward, there's a few obvi- – I mean, I think CU this year had some troubles when Lehman went out and middle linebacker. I'd love to see that addressed. And I'd also love to see a little bit of the back end addressed. We just talked about Isaiah Lewis and how solid he is, but there's still some coverage breakdowns that um, will hopefully be improved as CU gets players back from injuries and, and people mature. But I'd love to see a, I can't, I mean, Tedrick Thompson was the last super dynamic athlete. So you had at safety. I think it's such a game changer for a defense. Um, and CU just hasn't had anything like that. An explosive playmaker, I think back there and since since Hedrick left do you think Mark Perry could become that he was kind of absent this year he was I think he was a replacement level this year um I don't know what that is I don't know if it was a scheme change I don't know if they asked him to do too much from maybe that like hybrid weird star role I don't know I'd love to see him become he has, definitely has the suddenness and the athleticism for it I'd love to see him grow into that a little bit I just don't know if that'll happen I think <clears> you despite the, the safety coach being a high school defensive coordinator before Carl Durrell hired him this year. And despite um, 
a weird recruiting start. I think the safety class in 2021 is probably the, the best recruiting position coming in. I love Trustin Oliver from two years ago. He's a CU buff and, you know, he took some time to get some academic straightened out. Now he's coming in as a 6'4", 220-pound freak that can play oh, I anywhere. forgot about him. Right. I, I think that's going to be an immediate death piece that's definitely going to play some different spots that might add some of that athleticism I'm looking for. But on defense, that's definitely I'm, I'm, I'm worried is that back end. I think people could chuck it deep on us pretty easily. And I, that back end is definitely where I'm looking for some improvement the most. Uh, how did you feel about Christian Gonzalez? I, <clears throat> he grew a lot. Obviously, I think UCLA targeted him early with like those eight PIs he had in that game. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. Um, but then he had that beautiful deflection in the Alamo Bowl. He was definitely playing better players than he was used to and held his more than his own. I mean, he didn't say his name that much come near the end of the year, which is the good sign for a young defensive back. He wasn't broken or anything. So I think he has a lot of potential. I'm glad I want to see Tariq Luckett coming back from injury out there as well. I want to see where they put KJ Trujillo. I don't know. Trujillo played the last in the Alamo Bowl. He did, but he played a weird state. He's like a, you know, twig safety. I want to see him. Yeah, I, I want to see a little more him. natural spot. I wanted to see him play cornerback. I was a little disappointed that they said they were moving him to safety before the season. And part of that, I think, is just because they have the numbers at safety. and They didn't have the numbers at safety that they did at cornerback. Yeah, I don't know. What about you? I, I want to see an improved passing game. I think that CU has some really talented receivers. Hmm. namely Dimitri Stanley, who was as good as I was hoping. And Sam Neuer was just, like, not consistent at all throwing the ball. He finished with more interceptions than uh, than touchdown passes, which I don't know when the last time that happened at CU. <laughs> Had to be the option error, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know. They, they were playing Connor Webb. Let me pull up some Connor Webb stats. Do you mean Davis Wait. Webb? And Connor no, Wood? Connor, Connor Wood. Connor Wood. I, I boy I, Connor I Wood. Davis. Rocky oh. Mountain Showdown oh. legend, Connor Wood. Eight touchdowns, seven interceptions. So it wasn't even him. How much of that oh. is, is the the injury, though? Him playing the injury? Well, there were some... Oh, Jordan Webb was eight touchdowns, eight interceptions. Nick Hirschman, two touchdowns, seven interceptions. Connor Wood, one touchdown, four interceptions. That was all the same year. 2013, right? Shit, that, no, 2012, yeah, 2012. Yeah, that team was so fucking bad. Whole, I think they're yeah. the worst team in college football that year. Here's the crazy thing that's going to be nice about the, the CU football program in the next 10 years. They're not going to be where they were yeah. 10 years <laughs> ago. <laughs> we're going to appreciate the five-win floor that McIntyre set. I think that's going to be more and more just like, oh, my God. Do you remember how he t- when he took over and when he left? There's a lot of yeah. things wrong with his tenure, but holy shit, we're never going to be like that again. <laughs> no, that was – we were literally the worst football program in the entire country. San Jose State was better than us. Like, well, I mean, I shouldn't denigrate them. But anyway, yes, I – Sam Neuer was good. He was really physical as a runner, had five touchdown runs. But his decision-making was really sketchy. Like – he would throw interceptions where it like just went either straight to the defender or he just didn't see him. Mm-hmm. I think he was so figured just, out a little bit as as the as the season went on. Absolutely, he was. It reminds me of like Trevor Semyon on the Broncos. Did you know he made a Pro Bowl? That is disgusting. 
Yeah, well, he shouldn't have been in the Pro Bowl. He was like the sixth alternate. John, I was fired uh, for that mistake. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's like it's like that type of deal where it's like Trevor Simeon was okay until teams realized that he literally only passed to his left. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm I'm a little worried that Sam Neuer has been has been figured out some that he was only really good the first couple of games when UCLA literally like literally hadn't had a game plan for him. He, I, I think the Utah game was uh, also good until he aggravated that injury a little bit. That first half, he was really throwing some some nice balls out there. But, you know, it's I also think that's a room for improvement. But the other nice thing about the way that this roster is constructed right now, and I think the way that Carl DeRoe wants to keep it going, is there's really not a reliance on a elite passing attack for CU to win. I just no, don't I think like that's that. something that matters. That's good. I just want a functioning passing attack when we need it. Yeah. So I guess here's my, here's my question to you. Brady Russell comes back next year as tight end. He was hurt all year. Yes. I that's think a that huge, was, huge, huge deal. I was about to say, I think that was the biggest injury, not because Brady Russell is so unbelievably good, though he is really good. I think that's just the tight end was obviously such an emphasis with how they played football, like on offense. Yeah. Well, besides Nate Landman getting hurt, that's the biggest injury. Yes. But that was it happened. That was less quarters. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brady Russell comes back next year. You have Caleb Fourier recovering from an injury. You have a few other guys coming back from injury in the tight end room. Okay. Say, would you be okay with a tight end being the leading receiver of 2021 with the wide receiver <laughs> talent CU has? Um, I need context. And I also need D- Dimitri Stanley to be the leading receiver. He's too good as like a slant receiver to not just yeah. get the ball thrown to him all and that's the time. A, that's exactly how I would answer that. I think you can't do that to Dimitri Stanley. I think you have to force in the ball. And that's something that Shiv did not do in the past three or four games. And that really hurt this team. Dimitri, he, I think he's a great, great wide receiver. And I, the fact they didn't get the touches that he should have is, is a mistake. Yeah. Well, Shiv has been a little hit or miss in the past few years. Run, run LaVisca to the ground until you completely forget about him for stretches. Yeah, I, I mean, it, the worrying trend, I think, with, with his play calling is they start. it starts out so explosive in 2018 and in 2020, the two years he called plays. And it gets really predictable and really conservative almost. I, it gets conservative, and I think it gets figured out a little bit. It, people figure out how to slow down the momentum. Um, I think there was definitely some positive things in 2020 that weren't there in 2018. That helped me a little bit more hopeful for next year. Yeah. But I, I, I think that is something that I looked at when I look back at 2020. Just the fact that it went from the offense carrying the defense in, in two games, Stanford and UCLA, to the defense carrying the offense to some wins against SDSU, against Arizona. And frankly, I guess the bad opposing team's offense carrying CU's bad offense to some wins. Um, and then just losing some tough the last two games of the season. Yeah, I uh, I don't know how to feel about those. Like, well, I don't know what's sustainable, what's not sustainable, you know? Well, that's what I was saying at the top. Is the, my main thing at the end of 2020 is, like, I don't know how to feel about Carl Durrell too far, so far right now. I think it's a great first year. I think his competence was super exciting for me. And the fact that a lot of players broke out that didn't break out under prior staffs is a good sign going forward for him. 
but I also I just don't know how like this is a pretty weird year and he did well in a really weird year. Hopefully that continues as he gets more comfortable with this program because he had the toughest start of any coach in the country. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how to. I, I, they're going to play next year's schedule is a murderer's row, especially compared to 2020. I just don't know how to look. I don't, I don't know how to project that. I mean, I don't I don't know what the schedule even looks like, to be honest. OK, well, um, I just want to make sure I'm not going off your precious schedule. Um, is Texas A&M on there? Yes. So next year. God damn it. OK. Well, next year we're looking at UNC at home to start, and then we have at Texas A&M. Probably Which new, is that Northern Colorado? Northern Colorado. Ed McCaffrey, okay, Northern good. Colorado. Yes. And then we're looking at A&M and Denver, and also Minnesota comes to Boulder. So the Golden Gophers. Okay, yeah. Who are getting somehow their ridiculously good uh, senior, redshirt senior running back back, Muhammad Ibrahim. He's coming back. And Tanner Morgan's also coming back. So they're going to be pretty tough. That's a really, really hard non-con. Also, super fun that we don't have to start with the Rocky Mountain Showdown and get two good Power 5 teams instead. Yeah, and I'd rather just have the 30-point, 40-point win over UNC to start things. Well, you say that, but we only won by 14 last time we played in Folsom. When was that? Uh, 2017, 2018, I believe. One of those Hmm. two. Steven Montez was starting. Um, well, there we go. <laughs> hey, that's Washington football team division champ, active quarterback, <laughs> Steven Montez to you. Yeah, third stringer. So uh, regardless, looking back on this this team, 2020, I thought it was a really fun season. I got to watch players break out. I got to a lot of feel-good stories, and Carl developed a good job. I just don't know how to take that moving forward. That's my main thought. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm right on board that. The good stories thing is always fun. I'm excited to see how those breakup players sustain it, which players come back. I'm excited to see Nate Landman back from injury. Maybe Alex Fontenot can get his hip stuff figured out. Maybe Antonio Alfano can get uh, his, like, what is it, epilepsy figured out. Yes. Because that dude is going to be really good whenever he steps on foot, like he, on campus. Yeah. He did just tweet he was, he was tied by a friend. Running that forty yard dash in four five four five five seconds. Yeah, four point five five, which is faster than I think Lavisca ran his forty at the combine. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's also a friend timing you. So, <laughs> right, but he's anyway. Yeah, he's yeah. he would be a really exciting piece if he if he does ever figure it out. But I mean, priority number one is just please epilepsy is brutal. Hopefully that gets resolved and uh, football comes you know distant third after that. So. I, yeah, he, oh, what a win that would be. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on that before we move on? No, I don't think so. Well, that's your that's your 2020 Buffs postmortem. Yeah, and now we can talk exclusively about the Alamo Bowl. I thought we were doing basketball. Well, yeah, we we barely touched the Alamo Bowl. This is like the the the. See, I, to me, the one of the more exciting things we saw this year. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, let's hear it. What do, what do we want to talk about? Um, well, I frankly don't want to talk about the, all the times that CU completely got run over. I do want to talk about how exciting Brendan Lewis is. Okay, go ahead. I'm I'm here with you. Okay, well, I, he came in to replace a Sam Neuer that I believe was eight of twenty-two at the time. 
uh, in the second mm-hmm. half. And Lewis had had some run in the first half, and I believe they scored a touchdown on his the drive that he captained. But he, they really they let scored, him loose. Go ahead. They all, they scored three of his first four possessions. Two touchdowns. That's right. And Jared Broussard, <laughs> I think, scored yeah, scored the first two, those two. So, anyways, uh, no, Brandon Lewis ran in for a touchdown on the second one, but yes. Okay. Anyways, keep going. I think he was. I think he was exactly what you wanted to see out of your freshman quarterback, and it it was, it was to the point when where CU fans were like, "Why? Wait, hold on. Why didn't we see this during the year? Wait, why didn't we see a little more of this during the year? Why was Tyler Lytle ahead of him on the death chart? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a question that I can't answer. I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Brendan Lewis was playing a Texas team that obviously had checked out, but it was still a Texas team that had ruined Sam Noyer to that point. And he made some things happen uh, consistently. It was super fun to watch. His, uh, what do you think of his like little floating deep balls? I was a little sketched out by those, but he obviously has a nice touch. Uh, I would love to see a little more zip to him, but it's better than the, <laughs> the Sam Neuer deep balls that happened that game where he would just go through a line, yeah, well, or a line drive five yards ahead of the wide receiver. I, the play of that game that made me so upset, I think it was really the turning point of that game. If you remember, Maurice Bell was held, and he still broke through. The de- de- Texas DB fell over. Yeah. Sam Norris has a wide-open touchdown to Maurice Bell and just chucks it 10 yards ahead of him, straight line that- into the ground. Next play, Sam Neuer gets hit for targeting. They take off the targeting flag, drive stalls, CU misses the field goal, and that's when I think the game really got away. That was such a bullshit call. Not to get heated about it. It was. But they like, but you they call a call. targeting. No, you call an unnecessary roughness and targeting, and then you get insurance in case the targeting is overturned. It should have been unnecessary roughness. I agree. I'm okay with the not targeting. It should have been unnecessary yeah. roughness. None I'm of that matters, that though, if you just hit the open receiver that's wide open. You don't have to throw it in as fast as you can. Just do a little Ben and Lewis loft, and then you're down one score, 24-17 in the second half. That didn't happen. Steven. See, you just lost it. Steven Montez threw a pretty deep ball. Yeah, he he did a great deep ball. And Sefo, before he was hurt his senior year, was amazing. But I, I Brendan Lewis is it definitely is lacking some velocity. But you also get a lot of PIs that way. I think. I don't think he's doing it on purpose. But if you underthrow, that's usually when defensive backs get caught in a bad spot. Yeah, run the all OPI or all <laughs> PI offense. It's always there. So what I mean, what did you see out of him? I, you know, we always talk about like this dude just like knows he has a knack for making plays. This like, mm-hmm. he's a winning player. He has that it factor like that. Those types of like meaningless talk that you don't know how to describe without that meaningless talk. Mm-hmm. That's how I see Brandon Lewis is just like he'll just make a play. He'll evade the pass rusher and gain a yard instead of losing seven yards. Mm-hmm. That's so important, and I am so excited because he just has such a high feel for the game, and he's just, he, he's just going to be making plays, little plays, big plays. Do you think he has the inside track on the job next year, Do you, even if Sam Noyer comes back? I think that he should be given more of a shot than he had this year. Well, yes, I, absolutely. I, I, I think that Carl Durrell would agree with that. And in fact, I, I was most encouraged by the the thought of Lewis starting next year when I would watch Carl Durrell's press conference after the game. 
What did he, he say? Oh, he was, I mean, he was upset. I, that was the nice thing. So uh, I guess let's, let's keep going through it. Casey Thompson for Texas takes over for Sam Ellinger, um, who was injured in that game. And once again, CU's backup quarterback nightmares rear its head. Casey Thompson, mm-hmm. I don't even know if CU played that poorly against him. He was just throwing absolutely ridiculous passes. He was slinging. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he missed what, two throws? Eight to ten for four <laughs> touchdowns or something dumb? He's going to be a one of those like Heisman betting odds dark horse guys. That's going to be him next year. Especially him with the new coach. Like, yeah, well, that's crazy because Tom Herman did get fired and Steve Sarkeesian got hired over him, mm-hmm. which is a little wild. But, I mean, if Sarkeesian can have an Alabama-type offense, there's going to be a lot of Heisman hype around uh, that dude. I, he was unbelievable, and I see you obviously got completely curb stomped by him. I don't know how much of that is their fault. I think it obviously some, and there's, I mean, the athletic disparity and talent disparity was on display all night. But Casey Thompson, Virginia Robinson just took over in the second half, and CU just did not look interested in being there after about ten minutes in the fourth. I wouldn't, I guess, either if I was getting that killed. I didn't want to be there, and I was sitting on my couch. <laughs> I just wanted the game to end. Like everybody was talking, let's get a running clock after 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. <sighs> that sucked. Yeah, but- it was on. I mean, they just, Texas just ruined us. Casey Thompson came, came out of nowhere and, and killed it. But I, I think the fact that Carl DeRoe was so angry at that and not just saying, you know, they were good. Thank God they were here. He, he was legitimately upset, I guess, at the way they played, which I think is, good to see and also i think he was came across as really impressed by what brendan lewis brought to the table so i i think he's ready to hand the reins over i would be very happy with that especially if like neuer i like he could be still like a running threat we can still see a split between the two like that that could be really fun especially because neuer seems like such a good leader that he might be willing to take a back seat if he can take like a leadership and like heavy runner type of deal, that'd be nice. I, I think Neuer would absolutely accept whatever. I mean, he obviously did right when he was moved to safety. I think he would accept whatever role is given to him as long as he can yeah. stay on the team. He could also be an emergency safety again. <laughs> Please. No. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The Alamo is tough. Alamo bowl is tough. Um, in general, I'm glad that Jared Broussard found some room to run and I'm glad he got to show off that. Unlike some people, some some even some CU fans were arguing that maybe he was just taking advantage of some paper thin defenses. I'm glad that um, even against a way more talented team, he he showed out what he can do. I mean, he was successful even earlier in the game when Texas starters were in. Yeah, and this is with yeah, I I think it's without beyond reproach. Derek Broussard is really good, and he's going to be the starting running back next year. Broussard, yeah, and then you're going to rotate Fontenot in. If he's healthy. Yeah, and Clayton, if he comes back. And Mangum, if he comes back. Although he's kind of sucked the past couple of years, to be yeah. honest. Well, regardless, I, I think Brennan Lewis is definitely the bright spot of that game, and everything else was a, a wake-up call. I mean, that CU defense without Lamin out there I mean, is just such a talent drought compared to that Texas offense. Yeah, I think Christian Gonzalez was another bright spot of just mm-hmm. like – Obviously, they were getting torched, but he he was making some really stellar plays. And it's worth noting that that Terrence Lang and Jalen Sammy were were out for for CU's defense. Yeah. Um. All right. Anything else? No. Before we get I'm, on to basketball, can we do basketball? Basketball. Now? 
Oh, thank God. Okay, basketball. So, <laughs> basketball, Woo! basketball. So CU is seven and three as of this recording. Mm. They're about to play Oregon. Oregon State got canceled. Um, they have only played two of their ten games at home. So that's fantastic that they're seven and three after that. They've just gotten past their toughest three game stretch of the season where they lost to Arizona. They lost, they beat USC, then they lost to UCLA. Should have beaten UCLA, but they're also playing without like any big men for a long stretch of time because Evan Batty and Jabari Walker were in foul trouble and Dallas Walton was injured. So, why are you saying so, they should beat UCLA? They were not favored. They should have the, the the game flow like they 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 had okay. so many chances to win the game. Yeah, okay, I end. see what you're saying. They missed a bunch of bunnies. Yes. Maddox Daniels, fucking wedged the game time <laughs> shot. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Finish your finish your breakdown. Yes. Um, okay, so we're seven and three. The three losses are at Arizona, at UCLA. And at Tennessee, and Tennessee is going to be the best team we play all season. They're a potential. They're going to be the best team that everyone plays all season. Yeah, they're the be- They're the heavy, heavy, heavy favorites to win the SEC. Maybe yeah. get a one or a two seed. Yes, they did just lose to Alabama, but also in in fairness, they've shot I think like eight percent from the three point line, which won't happen again. Yeah. Um. So Tennessee's really good, and all said. Losing at on the road to three should be tournament teams, and this discounts Arizona doing a self-imposed tournament ban. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to get you if you do that. Um, they have a really solid schedule so far, and it's looking up. It's going to get easier from now on. They're 14th in the debut net rating rankings, which is what the NCAA uses to determine seeds. Right. I want to make sure that we know say this. It's not 14th seed. They are 14th in the country. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, so that's really good because they've only been playing road games and they've been winning like blowout games except for those three tight losses. Mm-hmm. And I should say, Arizona, they are not going to play a better game than that all season. Everything was firing for them. Mm-hmm. Everything. It was just like last year where they had their best game of the season against CU. Um, I don't know what I'm, where I'm going with this. CU is hosting Oregon. It's an A-tier game for them. So if they win, that's like a huge win. Oregon's number 17 in the country right now. They have still never won in Boulder ever. We'll see if that matters without fans. Right. I, um, I am worried about that. I mean, I'm worried too, but it's also CU Event Center, and Oregon's not as good as they were last year. Well, okay. Maybe. I don't Is, know. I haven't watched them really. All right, so put, <laughs> let's put the code on the thought. You have, what's, your, what's your final – what are you looking at? What's what am your I final thought at? of this? Is that was that the end of your recap? The schedule, the schedule has been very hard. CU is in a good spot right now, mm-hmm. and everything's going to get easier from here on out. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I like would. Ag- I mean, too. I would agree, and, and I think the people who are way smarter than us agree. Um, you know, I was annoyed. I just looked at Fox Sports bracketology, and let me look at. Um, Jerry Palm's bracketology. I don't know if I have access to Joe Lunar. But that we're that we're in eleven seed. Yeah. So net has this. If you just take the net ranking and, and transpose that onto a, a um bracket, CU is the four the second the yeah second best four seed right. 
So they're in the this, this second best um, region. They have a pretty good matchup. But Fox Sports has CU at, as an 11 seed, which is, I think, a joke. I don't think there's any way that CU finishes that low. Um, I don't Not unless an injury happens. God forbid. Well, so let's look at Jerry Palm. He has CU as the last four in right now. Ooh. Playing North Carolina in a play-in game. <sighs> okay. You know what's interesting is he has CSU as a higher seed. Um, is that just because they beat San Diego State? Yes. That's their only reason? Well, and they're a pretty good team this year, but CS, I mean, CU is also a pretty good team this year. So I, I think a lot of that is inertia because I don't think CU is even expected to be close to the tournament by a lot of these national guys. Um, regardless, they're better than 11 seed, and I think they'll show that. If you look at Ken Palm, there's only two actual projected losses left, which is at Stanford by a one point and at Oregon by three points. Yeah. Now, there are some close wins up ahead. This is Oregon game, for example, is projected to be a one-point win by CU, so obviously a toss-up. And the overall record is projected to be 17-8 and eight, or 11-7 and seven in conference. But a 17-8 and eight team in the Pac-12, especially this year's Pac-12, which is surprisingly deep and pretty solid, mm-hmm. that's going to be a way better seed than 11. And and this team is, going, is a better team than 11 seed. Yeah, they're... I don't think another collapse is going to happen like last year. And I really, I, I think that this team is probably better than they were last year. They're just deeper. They're, they're, I don't know. I think they're better defensively. I know they had a tough game against Arizona, but I think that this is a really, really stellar defensive group. And if you have the best, bear that out. they're actually better yeah. on offense efficiency wise. Yeah. If I was going to say that if you have like, the best player on the court every time you step on the floor and an elite defense, you're going to win a number of games. That's a really, that's a really low floor or a high floor. Absolutely. I mean, this team is, is, has a little bit more, the big difference between last year's team and this year's team is just, there's a lot more confidence on the offensive side of the ball with where they're going, even without McKinley on the floor. And I think that's bearing out into, into less like stagnant stretches a little more of a, a better flow on offense, even with, and the, the nice thing is even if shots aren't necessarily falling that well, like it didn't against UCLA, they were always in a position to win the game um, just because they had, they worked for enough hard points um, and they, they went through the right players to be there. Evan Batty is, is coming into a, I mean, on offense, he's just getting huge. <laughs> and the, I don't know. Dallas Walton is still ridiculously efficient, though he didn't play the last two games. I think he's great. Mm-hmm. He's a great offensive weapon to have. Jabari Walker off the bench if he can stay out of foul trouble. It's all good. Like, I'm really excited about this team. I just don't um, know what what's going to – yeah, go ahead. Well, so Dallas Walton has been out the past few games. It'll be nice. Hopefully he's coming back. It seemed to be rather precautionary on this road trip, the reason he wasn't playing, some lower leg thing. Um, but it was obvious against UCLA, which once again will probably be the f- second or third biggest team the CU is going to play all year if you include Tennessee. Yeah, they're huge. Like they're forwards, even. Everyone's yeah. like six foot eight. Yeah, that's that team is is one great. I love the way that UCLA plays this year. I think it, they're so fun. But number two, I would take I would take five Jaime Hawkeses on my team. And yes, as would I mean, that is Tad's exact type of wing. And Cody I Riley is exactly guy. what I wanted a big, which is just a big dude who knows he's <laughs> huge. Um, 
But the other thing that's crazy about UCLA was how thick they were. And I think that there's not another team left that's as thick. You know, Cody Riley yeah. took up a lot of space. And uh, who, who's their Hill guy? Jason Hill? Jamie? Oh, geez. Oh, no. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you don't know. Jalen Hill. Jalen Hill, their other big, took up takes up a lot of space. And CU's going to play teams that are tall and long and have rim protection that way, but they're not going to play a lot of the other teams that have the space eaters that UCLA had, which lets t- players like Dallas Walton get into the game more and lets players like Evan Batty dominate more um, when he's mm-hmm. not being taken to task by by a guy like Cody Riley. So, and we, we did I see that know. against Tennessee too, that – like, see, you can't really – they don't really know what to do if they can't out-bully another team. The thing that C, uh, Tennessee and UCLA both had is not only in on the in, on the inside, Earth. they were way bigger guarding CU than CU was used to. They had guys that were huge and could still keep up with McKinley Wright, which that's – we've seen throughout four years now. That's really what stymies his offense, right? Is mm-hmm. If they're guys like Tiger Campbell – who are a little bit bigger or can keep up with them and, and are, can't be pushed around necessarily. Ethan Thompson. Ethan Thompson, exactly. And Tennessee's like 8 million wing defenders. <laughs> that's really when he gets hurt. And that's when he, he can't affect the game like he wants to. And there's I don't know if there's a team left that has that on him necessarily. Maybe Arizona when they come back with the Kinjo. Maybe. Maybe Oregon a little bit, but I don't know. USC, if um, oh, who's their Ethan bulldog? Anderson. Ethan, yeah. Ethan. If he comes back healthy, he might be able to do that. But other than that, I'm I don't know. It sets up well for CU. It's a nice ending. They just got to the hardest part, like you said. Yeah, if they, I mean, I know OSU just got canceled or postponed, I guess. But uh, they're looking, they're looking pretty. They have some pretty manageable games coming up. They see. Oregon, and then they go host Cal and Stanford. Stanford's tough. And then they go on the road to Washington, Washington State. And that should be a road sweep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Washington State looks <laughs> way better than Washington at this point. And Washington looks like they might be the worst Power 5 team in the country. Yeah, they look listless. Completely and we, I mean, we already, we already saw them. They suck. Yeah, yeah. We, we also, already beat Mike them. Hopkins. I know I've said this, so I'll keep saying it. But Mike Hopkins was propelled by Matisse Thibel, and you can't tell me anything else. Yeah, he's the perfect player for his system. He also had a bunch of Romar's talent and got them to play not Romar's system, which will get you coach of the year honors. <laughs> oh, oh my God. So, uh, I, I, I mean, I just think CU matches up well with almost everyone left. Like you, like you said, going one and two in that road stretch isn't world beating, but it's also exactly what needed to happen to stay on schedule, I think. I think CU still on schedule. They aren't ahead of schedule. Yeah, I think that was one and two was the expectation I had. Like you have to get one win out of that. Yeah. And so USC is probably the easiest win to get there, but it, it was still a nice a double digit win on the road against a really good team, especially one that's built like that is, is pretty big. And then you saw, mm-hmm. I mean, USC, the next game just turned around and whoops, Utah. I did not 40, see that. Yeah, they allowed 46 points, 64 How, to 46. Is Utah any good? Because I know they were absolute garbage last year. They are way better than they were last year, but they're still not that great. So okay. Timmy Allen is back somehow as only a junior. He's been there for like 20,000 years. Um, 
At least both gotchas back is gone. Yes, who killed CU last year. Um, and they have a big guy, Riley Batten, who I know Tad loves that I also enjoy watching. He's super skilled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do you feel about Oregon State getting canceled? Because I know Oregon State was projected like 11th in the conference before the year. Yeah, and I think they're better than that, but it is also annoying to lose a home game when presumably the makeup game might be at Oregon State just two in a row. Like oh, that would suck. Right, exactly. So I don't know how that would work that's out, a, but also it's hard. COVID's hard. Yeah. Also, we always suck against in Corvallis. Well, we always suck against Oregon, Oregon State, State regardless. Yeah. Wayne Tinkle is like a, a, C, a tabloid nemesis, whereas Andy Enfield is like a tabloid bully. Like Steroid. Bullies him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm happy I don't have to see Kyler Kelly in person. Uh, what is he, like six, seven, four? I mean, yeah. you already have that Washington dude who's like, who hasn't Seven played four, until yeah. CU played him, and he's like, that was such bullshit. Yeah, what's this guy's name? Riley Sorn. Yeah. Yep. So, <sighs> anyways, that was weird. Okay, let's go on. Yeah. Now that well, now that we're just fo- basketball focused, this team deserves a lot of the focus, and God, they're so exciting for looking. Fu- I always have, I always have to catch myself because I'm always focused on the future with how just completely young this team can be young mm-hmm. kind of old um because i think the only guaranteed departure next year is mckinley Wright. yeah i think you're I, right. I i mean uh, i i don't maybe jariah horn but i don't know i mean his game is like a college game to the t well he'll play in europe you know he's gonna get buckets in like poland yes absolutely and i mean what a ad- addition he's been yeah, no, he's been really – I've been impressed with him. He had a rough first game, and we got overreactive. But well, he's still – on defense, he's he can still be taken advantage of. He can still yeah, be taken advantage of on defense. But he is a gunner, and he, he he's such a good face-up player. I'm yeah. really happy with him. I mean, past that, man, I just love – there's a nice point in, like, the, end, the middle of the first half. This is the beautiful part of it where, like <laughs> – you know, McKinley's out. There's two starters plus three bench guys. And it's like Keyshawn and uh, uh, Jariah Horn and maybe Jabari Walker's out there. And you have like Parquet and uh, Maddox Daniels, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just nice that I'm not completely panicking over the lack of like it's he, uh, Jariah Horn is such a nice, like calming presence. I never think he's going to make a wrong decision with the ball. I always think he's going to give himself a good chance to score a bucket and like Bartholomew can run the offense. It's just such a nice change of pace to have a second unit that can extend leads rather than preserve leads or even, you know, obviously drop leads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Deshaun Schwartz is finally figuring it out. Everything's, I think everything's looking up. So, okay. I've said this a million times. I'm going to say it again. Here's the thing I saw in this home is a way stretch that I hope continues forward. Deshaun Schwartz driving from the right side of the key to the left side of the key is the best mm-hmm. play CU has. It's a bucket or a foul every time. It's unbelievable. He is such well, a good in control driver. Was there was there anything else? No, that's it. <laughs> it's just annoying because he doesn't do that all the time. It's like he'll set up for jump shots because he's a good shooter. But that's such a huge I don't know. It's just such a huge thing to have another guy who can take it from the perimeter. And he's so the left hand really throws off a lot of college like wing defenders, especially. I don't know. I, I just love his game when he's aggressive. 
Yeah, no, no. Aggressive Deshaun is one of my favorite players of the Ty Boyle era, to be honest. And he might be coming back next year also. So He should. All right. Well, uh, like you said, big one against Oregon coming up. CU has never lost to them in Boulder. Without mm-hmm. fans, that might. I'm really worried about that being done. <laughs> Once again, losing to Oregon, not the end of the world, but also a missed opportunity for a really Let's big win. It. Yeah, let's not do it. Hopefully Dallas Walton is back, so see will be at full strength. There's no Peyton Pritchard. The bad man can't hurt us anymore. No Dylan Brooks. They do have a guy Ugh. who is a legit NBA player right now. Like, he's an NBA player playing on a college team. Eugene yeah. Omaruyi, who's just crazy good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the defense is is scary. So, I, CU needs to be prepared, obviously. But, man, uh, this would be a huge opportunity. Uh, late tip, 9 p.m., Fox Sports 1. 9 p.m.? 9 p.m. Imagine how lit it would have been with the fans. Yeah, reminds me of that uh, Auburn midnight kickoff game a few years that, ago. Six that kind of sucked, actually. Everybody hey, was up. grouchy. No, no everybody. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I was around the older fans because I wasn't in, sitting in the student section. Yeah, that was a full student section. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, I'm done. I'm off. Yeah. See you, Jake. See ya. Buzz. 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 Buzz.